over 28 million U.S. taxpayer dollars funding research in China. We take a closer look. Chipmaker Micron planning to build a giant semiconductor factory in New York State. It's set to be the largest in the U.S., complete with up to 100 billion in investment dollars. The U.S. and South Korea holding military drills and demonstrating their precision strike capabilities. The move follows a North Korean missile launch. Ahead of China's National Congress, close to one and a half million people are detained. Is it just a show of force? And an expert labels social media giant TikTok as a tool to build a totalitarian surveillance state. He breaks it down. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Stephanie Cox, filling in for Tiffany Meyer today. A new report says 28 million U.S. taxpayer dollars were sent to China over five years. The funding was earmarked for research. It came from three agencies, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the National Institutes of Health, and the Department of Defense. Those on the receiving end are Chinese academics and public health institutions. Examples include Peking University and the Chinese CDC. The federal funds were distributed from 2015 to 2021. They supported research covering a wide range of subjects, such as vaccination studies and military drones. U.S. federal agencies regularly provide research funds to foreign entities, including foreign universities and laboratories. In 2020, the U.S. government spent over $1 billion on research collaboration with foreign entities. The report comes from the U.S. Government Accountability Office, or GAO. It's a congressional watchdog that examines how the government spends taxpayer money. The report comes at the request of two lawmakers, Congress members Elise Stefanik and Michael McCall. In response to the report, Stefanik called the finding troubling. In a statement to the Epoch Times, she said, quote, China's deception and stonewalling of the truth behind the origins of COVID-19 has led to millions of senseless deaths and trillions of dollars in economic destruction across the globe. A massive semiconductor factory is coming to upstate New York. Chipmaker Micron said Tuesday that it plans to invest up to $100 billion over the next 20 years. Micron said the new factory will be built about 15 miles from Syracuse and that it will be the largest semiconductor factory in the United States. The factory would create nearly 50,000 jobs. Construction is slated to begin in 2024. The move comes in the wake of the U.S. striving to increase domestic chip production amid a global shortage and to lessen its dependency on chip production from Asia, especially Taiwan. Right now, the island is dealing with the threat of a possible Chinese invasion. Taiwan manufactures nearly all of the world's cutting-edge chips. These chips are the building blocks required for smartphones, vehicles, computers, and even military gear. The Chinese Communist regime has detained close to one and a half million people during a three-month campaign. This, according to China's Ministry of Public Security. Chinese authorities labeled them as crime suspects. Many of the otherwise ordinary Chinese citizens are also dissidents, human rights activists, petitioners, Christians, and Falun Gong practitioners. The Chinese regime's Ministry of Public Security set up a movement called the 100-Day Operation back in June. Officials touted its success at the end of September, saying more than 1.4 million people were detained and 640,000 criminal cases were resolved. The movement comes ahead of the Communist Party's National Congress. 
The key meeting is scheduled for mid-October. It will decide who will hold positions of power in China. Current leader Xi Jinping is expected to secure an unprecedented third term. Worth noting, it's an unwritten tradition in the Communist Party to make a show of power and intimidate citizens before major political events. The U.S. and South Korea's military sent a volley of missiles Wednesday. The test is an apparent response to North Korea's launch of its own ballistic missile and demonstrates South Korea's precision strike capabilities. Here's more. South Korean and American troops fired missiles into the sea on Wednesday after Pyongyang launched a ballistic missile further than ever, sending it soaring over Japan for the first time in five years. One of the missiles from the South Korean side failed to launch and crashed during Wednesday's drill, but no one was hurt. The Allies earlier staged a bombing drill with fighter jets in the Yellow Sea off the coast of South Korea. According to Seoul, American-made F-15K planes dropped guided bombs on a target off its west coast to demonstrate their precision strike capabilities. The U.S. sent four F-16 fighter jets in the drills. U.S. fighter jets also joined their Japanese counterparts in drills on Tuesday. U.S. Air Force Brigadier Patrick Ryder said the exercises aimed to show that Washington and its allies in East Asia were a united force. These exercises are an opportunity for our military members uh, to work together to exercise those capabilities. Uh, to one, send a message uh, that we are prepared. Uh, and two, that if we need to fight, we can and we can do it together. The missile North Korea tested on Tuesday, the country's fifth missile test in 10 days, appeared to fly over Japanese territory. Analysts say it could be a variant of the Hwasong-12 missile. That was previously unveiled in 2017 as part of what North Korea said was a plan to strike U.S. military bases in Guam. The launch triggered missile warnings across Japan. Residents in Tokyo were told to duck for cover as sirens blared, and an announcer said North Korea has seemingly launched a missile. Amid growing tensions on the Korean peninsula, it's getting harder for many families to reunite. Households and relatives were separated decades ago in South and North Korea after the Korean War. Until today, only a select few have been able to meet through winning a drawing to participate in rare government-sponsored reunions. This as North Korea bans its citizens from leaving the country to visit its southern neighbor. Let's zoom in. 80-year-old Hwang Reha despairs of ever seeing his mother again after the Korean War separated them in the 1950s. He now lives in a South Korean border town that affords him occasional hazy glimpses of his old hometown in the north. Maybe she has passed as she's over 100 by now. I want to see her one last time. But she doesn't even come to my dreams. My ancestors are perhaps not letting me see her. For families separated after the Korean War halted in a truce rather than a peace treaty, the only chance to see their loved ones again is through a lucky draw to participate in rare government-sponsored reunions or by hiring brokers to arrange a secret meeting in China. But that is too costly for most. In September, the South Korean government proposed a reunion event. But North Korea has not even acknowledged receiving the suggestion. 
These meetings are usually a barometer of the state of ties between the two sides, technically still at war. This 2018 event was the last reunion arranged by both governments. Since 2000, about 100 families from each side have been brought together briefly. And just a third of roughly 130,000 South Koreans who applied to participate are still alive. Among those who consider themselves lucky is Shim Gusop. Four decades after he was separated from his mother and two siblings, Shim reunited with his brother in the Chinese city of Yanji in 1994, helped by an ethnic Korean in China who brought the siblings there from his home in the north's eastern city of Hamhung. After his trips to China, the South Korean Unification Ministry entrusted him to a group that arranges private gatherings for separated families. Shim has arranged 47 reunions and exchanged hundreds of letters for separated families. But the global health crisis closed the border between North Korea and China, ending these private contacts, even for those who can afford the $7,000 needed to arrange them. Now Shim is campaigning to let families exchange postcards at least. Ten years from now, this separated family issue won't exist. It's just a matter of time. In five years, the separated families will be forgotten by the media and public. We will be forgotten. Taiwan's defense minister says the island will boost its response to Chinese incursions into its airspace. Here's a closer look. Taiwan is sending out a warning to mainland China. The island's defense minister says any Chinese incursions into its airspace would be considered a first strike. We initially said we would not make the first strike if they haven't made the first strike, which means firing a projectile or a missile. But the situation has obviously changed. Right. And they have drones, etc. So we have changed the definition of first strike to trespassing aircraft, flying devices. That includes drones. Right. That will be considered as a first strike. If their warplanes fly into our airspace, that will count as a first strike. Correct. Chu later added that Taiwan would destroy any Chinese aircraft or vessel that crosses that line, be it first strike or not. He didn't define what the line is and didn't give details on specific actions. Social media giant TikTok and its connections to the Chinese Communist Party present a threat to U.S. national security. That's according to Jeffrey Kane, an independent investigative journalist and author of a book on China's efforts to build a totalitarian surveillance state. Kane said during an interview with NTD's American thought leaders that the TikTok problem is a disaster waiting to happen. Here's more. Jeffrey, I've wanted to have you on the show ever since you put out The Perfect Police State, which is an absolutely amazing book. And we'll definitely talk about this. Before we go there, though, you just recently were in the Senate giving testimony about social media and national security issues, specifically around TikTok and how it functions in the US and frankly around the world. So tell me, what did you find? Oh, so much. The The problem of TikTok is that it is a national security threat to the United States and to countries outside of China. It is a disaster waiting to happen because TikTok 
though the company denies it, is fundamentally obligated to follow the laws of China, uh, the laws that were created by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, so here's how TikTok works. It is, it's an app that uh, it's extremely popular among Generation Z users. It's sort of like the next wave of uh, the next Facebook, the next wave of social media. And anyone can go on there and create a short uh, 12 or 15 second clip of them dancing to music or you know showing their cat. Or you can load up celebrities and see what, what they're up to. The app itself seems quite harmless. There's nothing about it on first glance that would look particularly uh, nefarious or evil. Um, but beneath the surface, there is a lot going on here. So uh, TikTok, it was originally created by ByteDance, which was a Chinese company uh, based in Beijing. Uh, it had been um, created by uh, one of the major figures who, who was deeply involved in the world of Chinese artificial intelligence technology. Um, it, it received enormous amounts of funding from a major uh, Silicon Valley uh, investment firm, so Sequoia Capital, which was a company that was trying to expand in China. And it wasn't until about five years ago, six years ago, um, that TikTok was created by this company, ByteDance, through an expansion into the American market. They had acquired a local company, so a fellow Chinese company that was developing a music app that was getting popular in America called Music Lee. And ByteDance decided to acquire this and used it to create what we now know as TikTok. Now here's the first big red flag, and there are many red flags, but the, the biggest red flag upon this acquisition is that TikTok did not notify the U.S. government about the acquisition. Coming up, a leaked recording revealing someone in Beijing has access to all of TikTok's global data. And at a U.S. Senate hearing, a TikTok manager admits the company does share data with Beijing. Jeffrey Kane breaks down the details. More on that after the break here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Stephanie Cox. In the second half of the interview, Jeffrey Kane explains why it's a problem that TikTok didn't get reviewed by the Council on Foreign Investment in the United States. Beyond that, he speaks on a leaked recording revealing a person in Beijing who has access to all TikTok data. He also breaks down a Senate hearing where a TikTok manager admitted the company does share data with Beijing. There is a body called uh, CFIUS, which is the, the Council on Foreign Investment in the United States. This is the body that is charged with reviewing uh, all sorts of uh, you know, Chinese investments in America, not just Chinese, but uh, foreign investments in America that might pose some kind of national security risk. Um, so CFIUS has reviewed investments in semiconductors, in uh, surveillance cameras, um, you know, it, military weaponry or the components of weaponry, anything that could potentially pose a risk to the well-being of Americans, to American safety, has to go through a review by CFIUS. Now, uh, TikTok, upon entering Amer America, uh, you know, it, it had these grand plans to uh, use data. So, so TikTok is essentially a data scooping machine. It's it's getting your 
um, you know, your face, your voice, uh, it's, it's getting your behavior, your movements, you know, it's learning, it, it, like the, the algorithms in TikTok, and TikTok has not publicly said much about its algorithms, but um, like all social media platforms, these systems are uh, extremely profitable because they gather so much data and they use that data to sell ads to consumers. Now, the problem, the first problem here is that TikTok entered the American market trying to appeal to Gen Z, to the next generation, to the celebrities, you know, trying to build up the cat videos and the dancing videos. And this was, uh, you know, I, I believe that this was a kind of mask um, that covered up, you know, some of the, the darker realities going on underneath the surface. And that the big problem was, well, you know, this is a company that it, it, it was based in China. Uh, it, it was a company that is that will be responsive to Chinese law under requests. And yet they're expanding in this massive way in America. And there wasn't even a CFIUS review at the beginning. Um, that should sound alarm bells. You know, why did TikTok decide not to do that review? And it's as if they kind of snuck into the market and placed their software in the hands of the next generation. The second part, though, and uh, this I didn't see as much covered in your testimony, is that they also decide what you see. Yes. And, and very non-transparently, right? And also in the realm of this, what we call ephemeral experiences. So in other, in other words, there isn't someone actually watching what is being served up to people and somehow tabulating it, it's gone forever. And we won't know what our kid or uh, you know, our uh, uh, person working in the national security establishment is seeing as they're using it. So these are, these are the two areas that jump to mind for me. TikTok uh, executives have admitted in the past that the, the algorithm that, that TikTok has been used to suppress um, bad news coming out of China. So they said uh, at, at one point uh, there was a, a TikTok executive who testified before the British Parliament saying that news about the Uyghurs in western China in, in the region called Xinjiang, um, that news was being suppressed at one point. There are other examples. There was a leaked uh, a, a, a kind of like a moderation guideline at one point. This was leaked uh, back in back in 2019, and it showed the um, TikTok or By ByteDance instructing the global TikTok moderators, including in America, to uh, you know look around for material that might you know look bad. So you know I anything that shows poverty, like showing ugly people. Uh, poverty, slums, you know, poor people. It literally was saying these kinds of things, and and the moderation guidelines said you need to suppress this kind of material. We only want to see beautiful people on here who who are happy and, and nice and and you know great to look at, and they're attractive and so forth. Um, you know, th this is an example of censorship and abusive censorship um, because you know not only are we discriminating against. You know, the, the poor and, and people who don't look super attractive, but it, this is also being used, it was being used to tow the party line to suppress news about Uyghurs, to suppress news about human rights abuses in China. So, so let's jump to this other part that you've been so focused on, which is sort of the, the, the data gathering and what sort of exposure that creates. So give me the picture. So here's the problem. The Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping, has repeatedly said uh, that it wants to become a global leader in artificial intelligence, that AI is going to be a major pillar of Chinese military power, its surveillance power, 
Um, Xi Jinping has made it clear that he's trying to build this new society that will be driven by, by this total surveillance state that we know everything that's going on within China, potentially outside of China too. This is where the TikTok and the ByteDance connection becomes extremely problematic because under Chinese law and under the Chinese Communist Party, you know, any any executive, you know, whether you're at TikTok, the American version, you know, of the company, of the app, or you're at ByteDance in China, this is the this is a Douyin, which is the, the Chinese version of the app. You know, there's not going to be a separate line between those two. The Chinese Communist Party will see TikTok as fundamentally a Chinese company and one that needs to report to the Chinese Communist Party. It doesn't matter if TikTok says, and this is how TikTok responds, they always say, we are an American company, we're separate, we're not based, in, you know, we're, we're based all over the world, we're not the same as the Chinese company ByteDance. But they also admit that they have employees in China, and these employees, as we know, are subject to the harsh and brutal realities of the Chinese Communist Party. So tell me a little bit about the, is it called the master admin? Yes, so this was a part of audio files that were leaked in BuzzFeed, the news website. There were 20 audio files uh, that were taken from various meetings between uh, ByteDance and TikTok developers, software developers. They were just talking about the, the problems inherent in having uh, you know Chinese executives who are overseeing them. They they and in one of in one of these audio recordings, uh, one of the executives uh, was talking about this this master admin who is an unnamed figure. We're not sure who this person is, but um, said that this person is somebody in Beijing who has access to all TikTok data, all global data. Um, this, you know, TikTok denies that this is true. They say that there is no master admin, there's nobody with this title, but it's clearly on the audio recording. These are internal meetings and somebody is talking about a master admin. That's very strong evidence right there. You know, one other piece of evidence to look at here is, well, TikTok even says in its own privacy policy, if you read it carefully, it says we can share data with our corporate group. And that's in quotes. That's literally what it says. So TikTok was pressed about this in a previous congressional hearing. The senator asked them three times, what is the definition of our corporate group? Does this include ByteDance in China? And after dodging the question repeatedly, finally TikTok admitted that yes, our corporate group includes ByteDance, which means that they, you know, according to their own policies, they might actually share the data of people around the world with the Chinese arm. We do hold that to a high standard and we have access control. Hey, Mr. Beckman, we're going to try a third time because the words that came out of your mouth have no relation to the question you were asked. Your privacy policy says you will share information with your corporate group. I'm asking a very simple question. Is ByteDance, your parent company, headquartered in Beijing, part of your corporate group? Yes or no, as you use the term in your privacy policy? Senator, um, I, I think it's important that I address the broader point in, in, your, in your statement. So are you willing to answer the question, yes or no? It is a yes or no question. Are they part of your corporate group or not? Yes, Senator, it is. To watch the full interview, check out American Thought Leaders on Epic TV at theepictimes.com slash epictv. Or click the link below if you're watching online. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Stephanie Cox filling in for Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching.